Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, one and all, to the Future Tech Podcast. I am Alan Thomas. Today, I have with me the CEO of HSource, John Kupis. How you doing, John? Pretty well, Alan. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, so uh, let's get right into it. Tell us about HSource. Who are you guys and what do you do? Well, we are a uh, SaaS web-based uh, exchange platform for healthcare providers to exchange assets that they used to throw away, used to go into the ground, so to speak. So that is what we do. The problem in the U.S. is about... Uh, we throw away about nine to ten billion dollars a year, and about four and a half in medical supplies, devices that have an expiry date on them, and about four and a half in non-controlled pharmaceuticals. And that's what we created the marketplace to address. Uh, and and in terms of your background, were you already in the, the healthcare space, or more the tech space, or how, how did the company come about? Yes, <laughs> let's go back to the beginning. For I, I got to give credit to the founder Murray Walden, who's not on this call. Murray Walden was a medical device rep with high-end products for about uh, 10 to 14 years, worked with products like heart valve stents, was in the OR with a lot of the doctors on the West Coast. As Murray would inevitably go through these operating rooms, people would say, hey, Murray, Dr. Smith left last week. He had 60 of these heart valves, $6,000 each. When you go to hospital XYZ next week, could you see if they want these? So as Murray did that, being a road warrior, you have a lot of time to think in a hotel room. He'd say, hey, I think I may have an idea here. He would 
you know, facilitate the sale to the next group. So he left medical device sales, cashed out his 401k, and built a prototype. It was more like a Craigslist model with about 10 to 15 hospitals, about a million dollars of inventory, charged them $100 a month to get on and exchange these goods. Well, that's about the time I was introduced uh, to Murray. And my background's a little different. I said yes earlier to tech and healthcare. I did run a, a national practice for uh, Ernst & Young, the Lawson Infor practice. They have about 40 to 42% of the ERP implementations. ERP would be the enterprise resource planning, the accounting systems for large hospital networks and, and businesses. So I had a real good understanding of the management accounting, the reports that they needed, the inventory supply chain management, the human capital management, and integrating to all the silos of data that are in, in healthcare. And then after that, I also ran a tech company that, uh, I'll date myself here, uh, was on the peer-to-peer -peer networks, but we protected about 90% of the movies, music, and TV content globally. And uh, we tracked that data and later had bought our three competitors and had a successful exit in that. And that led to me meeting Murray and saying, hey, I love your idea, but I don't like the model. It's not scalable. Let's change the model. I became an investor. Uh, we're both all in. Our families are all in. And uh, we started to build a new platform instead of like Craigslist for healthcare, more like an Amazon meets a LinkedIn uh, platform for healthcare. So, so I guess it'd be safe to say that the the ultimate mission of the company is to kind of kind of speed up kind of kind of speed up the exchange or, or, or yeah. it, it's to allow them to communicate and collaborate to reduce waste. Remember what I started with: we're throwing away nine to ten billion dollars of these products a year. Okay, and this exchange allows them to find a home for that instead of it going in a landfill or the ground. And as we like to say, it's driven by both green. You know, first, they're going to recover costs. So that's the green that they get. But yes, it's also really good for social responsibility for, you know, them saying they're a sustainable organization. So we work on both sides of the green. Uh, and for healthcare organizations who are who are looking to, to use this service, uh, I mean, what's their... Is there is there an, an onboarding process, or do they literally just come to the website and start kind of looking around and seeing where where, well, they, where the need fits? That's a great question. Great question. What we do, and I wasn't clear on it earlier. We have a a network that's of vetted healthcare providers. It's either hospitals or healthcare facilities. So when a person or a group inquires uh, of joining the platform. We vet them, uh, who they are, you know, run the Dun & Bradstreet. We call to verify that they're a hospital, a medical facility, because one of the things that really is respected on our platform, it's medical facility to medical facility. So they know where it's coming from. It hasn't left the healthcare system, and it's going between those facilities. So when we get an opportunity, we vet them. Uh, once they're vetted, we give them a user ID. And then we give them some training and we assign a, uh, a customer care representative to them and a sales tech uh, to that group. And uh, that's how people get started on our system. Well, it's good to know that they all get uh, their own personal kind of consultants uh, assigned to them. And that way, everybody has no problems kind of moving to using the system. Right. It is very easy. I mean, if, that, if you can buy something online with, with Amazon or any of the services, any of the online retailers, you can use our system. We tried to make it really friendly.
because a lot of the people in healthcare and the supply chain, they don't have time to learn something very sophisticated. They're already uh, working really hard in the hospitals. They've leaned labor out a lot. So it had to be easy. So yes, but we do have people ready to assist uh, both on-site and back at the parent office through customer care. Now, in, in putting HSource together, what are some of the hurdles that you you guys have encountered in putting the company together and getting to this? How long do we have? <laughs> we, we've got all we got all the time you need, John. <laughs> uh, well, you know, first thing is we were different, and it's not what the, the hospitals had always done. So, yes, it's a great idea. Everybody thought it was a great idea, but it was hard to get in the hospital. So you had to identify or get a group of what I'll call the classic early adopters. So we got uh, maybe 40 or 50 of those, uh, began to work with them, and then, you know, word of mouth, it began to increase. Now, that's square one. Square two was we had to get them to list product. Well, that was pretty much a free throw because we didn't charge them until they sold something. So they would list product on the system. Well, that's great. If you list products, that's that's a good start. But to have a successful exchange, you got to have buyers. Okay, you can list products all day long, but you got to have buyers to make money. So it was even harder and took longer to get through legal to be, have hospitals become buyers or medical facilities on the system. And that, uh, you know, we built a platform and began to aggregate people, aggregate product, and then we got people to start start buying. So it's in in that progression that, that was difficult. Um, we did get some pushback from some of the larger organizations in healthcare, but, you know, overall they've been supportive. Uh, groups like GPOs were a little concerned at first, you know, what what were we trying to do or some of the OEMs, you can imagine the original equipment manufacturers. But as they see, uh, it, it's very complementary to what they do. You know, we're just helping people recover costs and for the smaller hospitals to reduce their spend. And I'm going to take a minute and define that. The large hospitals tend to be our feeders. They tend to put a lot of stuff on the system. I'm not saying they don't buy that stuff. They tend to get really good pricing. But the small hospital or the, you know, the 200, 250 bed hospital, we'll call them the eaters on our system. They come on and see something. And instead of having to buy a case of an expensive item, that small hospital can buy the two they need for the year. So we'll call that breaking boxes. Or that middle hospital, middle size, can buy six of them. Instead of having to buy 12 and you've just set up waste where you're going to not use six of them and they were going to be in this waste category coming up the next year as it ran to expiry. So I tried to be pretty tight, Alan, but I could have gone on a long time on that. <laughs> we were... It, no, no, that's 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 all you have the magic of editing. It is there's no such thing as too much or too long. <laughs> okay, but, but, beautiful. <laughs> but but no, that's that's good that you mentioned that because I, I I was gonna start asking about you know how the how the system works for large organizations versus smaller ones because like you said you so they do get to br- kind of break boxes as you said and not have to get huge uh, you know large quantities at once if they don't need necessarily need. Correct, and the small hospitals. You know, look at the, I'll call them the critical access hospitals. You know, they're on the front line in a lot of the rural areas in our, our country. You know, they're they're struggling. Uh, and we can talk about that a little later in the conversation, but they're, they're, their margins are really, really thin or they're slightly underwater and subsidized. 
And so anywhere that they can save money or get that product can be a real difference maker for them. Because again, they're, they're really having a tough time out there. And they can't get the pricing that the big hospitals get. You know, it's the old thing, volume, you get a better price. And you can't uh, break the box always. You know, some groups will say you got to buy a case of these $1,500 items. That's a big deal for them if they can just buy two. And that's all they're going to use that year. Okay? Big deal for them. And so would you say that uh, that would count among some of the major achievements that you guys have had since forming H-Source, being able to service these smaller rural hospitals? Well, it's one of the achievements. I mean, it's very gratifying because I think in a few cases, we, we've helped make a difference whether that hospital stays open or not. And I think so that's very gratifying. But we work with a lot of large um, and we help them. We've become a platform to help them exchange assets. Say it's a large hospital network in Colorado and they have 20 facilities. They can use our platform to look at these idle stale products. It's called uh, self-distribution or single warehouse. They can look at these idle stale goods in their facilities exchange them amongst their groups. And if they don't use it within their group, then they can take it out to the global network. So that's gratifying. And and let's talk Colorado. We did a press release not that long ago, back in January. And if I look, just before I got on the call with you, I looked to date. um, Over the last 12 months, uh, we've been very involved with the Colorado Hospital Association. We probably have about 70% of their members are on the platform. That ranges from extremely large, the largest hospitals in Colorado to the smallest, the critical access. But we've probably saved over, uh, you know, $10 million in waste in Colorado. So we're excited about that. That's that's something we can point to. We're doing that in other areas and states. We're very strong in Texas. We're very strong in Washington. We're strong in New York. Uh, and we're getting much stronger in the Southeast U.S. So each of those areas, if you add it all up, we're saving a lot of products from going in a landfill and helping them recover costs and reducing what they're paying for some of these products. So that's that's very gratifying. Yeah, that's huge cost recovery numbers that you're talking about there. Yeah, if I look at it in total, we're up to almost $20 million, and, and that's over the last year. And for a company that just started reporting revenue in Q3, we're very, very excited about that. And it's, it's ramping up very quickly. And... Uh, the network effect is taking hold. People are hearing about us. You know, we're not marketing as heavily, and people are calling us and saying, "Hey, we heard what you did for Hospital XYZ. You know, can you come in and do that for us?" Sure. You know, let's do it. And we're also finding that when we get into a geographic area like a city, say it's uh, you know Denver, say it's uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, or it could be Houston. Uh, I'm just using examples, but. We can help hospitals that may not even be under common management share products within that geography and just courier it back and forth. So, you know, we're helping within a state like in Colorado. You can look at everything within the state, and that works really well for the non-controlled pharmacy that we work with because you can move things within a state or within hospitals under common management. So, yes, we're we're very excited about what technology has allowed us to do and how, how we've been able to get hospitals to link together, uh, to communicate and collaborate on this exchange platform. And so for, for HSource, the company, what does the roadmap look like for the next 12, 24 months? Um, we don't have a direct competitor at this time, so it's a land grab. It's go get as much as we can, and that's what we're going to do. 
We currently have over a thousand, uh, actually it's 1,203 medical facilities under contract. Uh, in the U.S., there are about 5,000 hospitals. Um, out of that, we have about 850 hospitals. We're approaching 20% of the U.S. market. We want to be at 30% uh, by the end of the year. Uh, and, you know, Alan, that's getting to be a big number. That means we can have somewhere between, let's say, conservatively 25 to 30% of the U.S. hospitals on our platform communicating, sharing goods. There are a lot of things that you can do with that to drive efficiency other than just our core model. So that's, that's what we see over the next year. And, it, and is it feasible to think that, that one day you guys will expand to the point of international? Yes, that will happen later this year. I'm not supposed to talk about it much, but we will. We've been working on that for over a year. Uh, and I would not be surprised if we were in Asia, uh, you know, out of the Asian countries or also in Europe. But I think Asia would come first. We've actually done a lot of work on that. Wow. Okay. That's uh, that's very, very, very fast. But uh, I shouldn't be surprised, though. Like you said, with an idea like this, you definitely see how everyone would say it's a great idea. And then most of those people would, would then just turn around and say, okay, well, how do you do that? <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, and, and like I said, we're getting critical mass. And I will tell you the people in those markets approached us you know, and came to us. And, and I've been dragging my feet because we were trying to focus, you know, on our core. Our, the lowest hanging fruit was U.S., but but it's uh, it, it's too big an idea for that. And we're, you know, t actively talking to groups in Asia. We have been since last, uh, oh, last September. Uh, we were over there for a week, and we'll be back over there later this summer at the Asian Healthcare Conference. Uh, and, and, and in thinking about a lot of the ideas that that are probably swirling around the office from day to day. Are we? Are there are there any developments or ideas that maybe come up where you say, well, it may be too soon for that, or this may be a little bit ambitious for this year or next year, but maybe three years out or five years out. Any any ideas like that that may come up come across your desk? Sure. Uh, last year, last January, people wanted us to go international into Asia. We drug our feet for about eighteen months. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I thought you know it could sink us because we'd be distracted. Uh, yes, uh, but I think we've been very measured in what we've done. We've aggregated these people, the, these groups on the platform, and we're going to do different things with that this year. So let's look at some things that we didn't talk about that we're going to do. You know, if we have aggregated all these people on our platform, I could see situations where OEMs would want to place their products on our platform because you have all those eyeballs, okay? We're beginning to see that people could use you as a source for some products that may not be carried on GPO contract and such. Um, we've added data visualization tools, uh, significant upgrades to that that we, we've rolled out here in Q2. People are very excited about that. We're opening up a full open API to link with you know pretty much anybody's system if they want to, we're you know we're opening it up to a cloud-based secure API. Um, that's a big deal. And then I'll say the last thing that we're we're it's quiet. Um, we've been very measured because people were all over us to get into this last year. But um, I wanted to see how blockchain settled out and see which people would really um, deliver. I guess that's my old Ernst & Young background, you know, kind of wait and see. 
who's going to really be solid and succeed. But I could see for, think of we move capital assets, capital equipment. I could see a scenario where we work with a partner to to embed some of that in our platform where you're tracking um, capital devices in, in healthcare or expensive items because the technology is growing so fast versus the old RF technology. So there are some of my my things that we talk talk about over the next few few months to a year. That the the other the blockchain would would be early next year, but we've we've been working on that and uh, you know working with a couple partners and, and seeing where that goes. But we're very excited where that can that can end up because again we have a strong platform. We have a lot of industry knowledge, Murray and I and our team, and uh, we can leverage that into something pretty powerful with the right partner. And in terms of uh, I guess final thoughts for our audience. What's the big takeaways that you would want them to take away from from what you told us here today? We waste a lot of products in the United States. There was an article in ProPublica not long ago. Now this is all all things in a hospital that they did an estimate that last year we wasted 750 billion dollars wall to wall. That's almost as big as the defense budget in our country. We created a product and a platform to help them communicate and to help them exchange some of these goods to reduce that waste, recover cost, and reduce their spend. And we are very excited about that. We have a great team, and uh, we're getting there. We're getting critical mass. So we think we can have a profound impact. Every day you see something about the cost of healthcare. The hospitals that are going to succeed in the future are going to be those that control costs. And I want to get this last point across. The last three years in the U.S., the operating margins have generally come down wall to wall, 4.1, 3.2, 2.2%. Why? Uh, the reimbursements are coming down for procedures or the bundling or you're getting paid by outcome. We always tell a hospital you're never going to be paid more than you are today for what you do today. It's only going to come down. They've leaned out labor. Labor is their biggest expense, about 33%. They've leaned it out as much as they can. Number two is supply chain, 31%. they got to focus on that. The hospitals that you see that are doing really well are really managing their supply chain well, and we're one of the tools that can help all hospitals do that. And what's the, the, the best way that you would want these reps from hospitals and medical organizations to get in contact with you guys? I'd uh, go to our website and just sign the the contact form, and we will get right back out to you. Uh, that's hsource, h-source.com, and it's that's the easiest way. Okay. Well, John, I'd like to thank you for coming onto the podcast and, and giving us a lot of great information, and just thank you for your, your time and your expertise. Well, Alan, I, I want to thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you and, and on your show. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. 
they don't wait till later. They go out west first, in their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter, and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.